Kick the jukebox, it's so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time. Oh yeah! Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Kick the Jukebox. I'm Louie Perlman. And I'm Kyle Gordon. Yes. Awesome. Hello. So this is going to be another one of our best of episodes where we're going to revisit some older episodes. We're prepping for our next season. That's all about the history of disco. I'm looking forward to that. I think that's going to be awesome. I'm so excited. We're big changes coming, big, amazing changes coming from the kick the jukebox podcast. Dreams really do come true. I know kick the jukebox Inc is really expanding. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. But this episode is going to be all about uh, some of the stuff that we've covered involving Jamaican and reggae music, which has been a really fun sort of storyline we've hit on here and there over previous episodes. Yeah, it's been really fun and uh, I'm excited to kind of listen back to some of those conversations. And it was it became sort of, you know, when we were thinking about doing best of episodes, just this realization that we've covered so much amazing Jamaican music that's so important to me is really awesome. And in particular, the Burning Spear episode we did in July and it was kind of one of our BLM theme. We, We had like sort of a BLM theme kind of going on in July and that was one of the Uh, I thought more unique and interesting ways, uh, records that we looked at sort of through the lens of BLM, which was, that was a really fun and special episode for me. Yes, I am proud of the fact that we have pivoted every once in a while, our fun friends talk about music podcast over into advocacy. Uh, I think that's been a a really, you know, I'm very proud of that, of that work that we've done. And uh, yeah, I love learning about Burning Spear. And yeah, and we're also going to cover some of the tracks that we talked about from the Harder They Come soundtrack, which is just such a good soundtrack. Amazing. And we're going to talk about my all-time favorite records, any, just one of my favorites. Oh yeah. I mean, it's an incredible record. And we're going to talk a little bit about the history of Chris Blackwell, who's such an interesting figure when it comes to bringing reggae to a, a larger audience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, so yeah, so stay tuned for that. But before we get to that, we actually have a podcast recommendation today, which is really, really fun. You know, I've been really enjoying the Quarter Rest podcast with Joe Diaco. Uh, And just for everybody that's never listened to it, it's an interview-based music podcast that has like a very eclectic mix of artists, like different musicians, different singer-songwriters. And his focus is on like working musicians from now which kind of makes it complimentary to the fact that our podcast is 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 more of a retro historical 20th century music podcast yeah our podcasts are in in constant conversation yeah that's right yes (laughs) if not literally then you know out in the energetically yes that's right in the in the in the ether Ether. in the the vibes yeah Yeah, so the latest episode that Joe did that was actually released today, we're recording this on November 2nd, is uh, with an interview with the pop singer-songwriter Hillary Caps, who's based out of Queens, which is really cool. And she had a lot to say about her influences, which I really enjoyed, and like what she's up to mm-hmm. during the COVID era as a songwriter, like as a working songwriter, which uh, I appreciated. And he also interviews a whole bunch of Canadians as Canadian well. Canadian legends. Yeah, yeah, he's based out of Canada, which I appreciate. And I know that a lot of our listeners are Canadian because of the connection to me. One of the main, like, big musicians that he's interviewed is Brad Roberts from Crash Test Dummies, 
which I love. Do you do you remember Crash Test Dummies, Kyle? Mm, I, I, I my voice is so high. I was about to try to do the, <laughs> mm, but it's just gonna. The whole point is that his voice is so low, so I'm not even gonna attempt to butcher it. Yeah, yeah, totally. Yeah, but a big band from the '90s, Crash yeah. Test Dummies, especially in Canada. And uh, a lot of my friends in college were big Crash Test Dummies fans, and I always had an appreciation for them. I was about to say, you know what I mean? It's like, I think we've kind of talked about this. Like, I would love to be, I don't have an opinion about them really one way or the other. The only sure. song I know is the mm, yep. song. Once there but, was this girl who. <laughs> uh, bug marks all over her body. <laughs> That's but, pretty yeah, good considering I, how high your voice is. Thank you. Uh, I would, but look, I am. I, it's something I didn't know I needed, but I would love to be sold on Crash Test Dummies. Someone someone convinced me to like them. I can't wait to like them. Yeah, seriously. They're not one of those bands that we're just never going to like because we're no. disgusting music snobs, which we're just yes. not in general. So, yeah. No, I want to be convinced. I want to be convinced. Yeah, totally. And, and something, uh, just to get back to Joe's podcast, something that I really like about the podcast is that he is a really in-depth interviewer. I mm. feel like he has a really, like, calm interviewing demeanor and he's mm. you know this is should go without saying for an interviewer but i feel like he's a really really good listener and he asks really interesting follow-up questions that take the conversations and in, to interesting places that sort of give you the full picture of the artist that he's interviewing yeah i think that's the most i mean there's nothing more frustrating than when you listen to an interview and the interviewer just constantly just wants to either talk about themselves or impress their guest. Totally. So someone who is really understands uh, just, yeah, the ability to really listen and understand that, you know, the listener is there to learn something from the person being interviewed. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it, it's it feels really like difficult skill. Yeah, totally. And it feels like it's a really good back and forth. And there's like a sort of, he has like a really I would say like a calming presence. Mm. And that's another way that I think our podcasts are complimentary is that you can wind up by listening to kick the jukebox <laughs> and then you can, you know, have a nice chill out time by listening to the quarter rest podcast with Joe. Constant Diaco. conversation. Constant yeah. Conversation. <laughs> so, so we might collaborate with him in the future because we really like his podcast. So we hope you give it a listen just one more time for our listeners that want to check it out. It's the quarter rest podcast with Joe Diaco and you can find it on any podcatcher of your choice. Uh, and we hope you do so. Indeed. All right. Well, enjoy this best of episode of Kick the Jukebox. Why don't we spend the rest of our time dipping into this great album that we came here to discuss, oh shall we? Oh, my gosh. Harder They Come, Kyle, while I cue up a song, I want you to tell me, why did you want to uh, do this album? This was your choice. Yep. I think this this one's very important to you. Let's yeah. let's talk about it. This is and and I think as we discussed, you know, we love great songs. You know, songwriting, pop song structure, and this is front to back every single song on this album is a, could be a single and is a single because it's i mean it's it was a all the songs but one were previously released singles compiled to, into the soundtrack for this mo movie called The Harder They Come and every song on this album is a banger and though there are multiple artists on this album 
Um, this is our first compilation we've covered. True. Which is really interesting. True. I think. Yeah. Yep. And every song is a banger and it, it perfectly structured and it is just... It just flows perfectly, and I love it very much. Would you say that this is your um, one of like in your top ten favorites? Oh, no question. I would say top five, probably. Wow! Oh, that's so nice. Yeah. Was this your intro to reggae? Would you mm, say? No, no, no. I wouldn't say it's my intro to reggae, but this is when I. <laughs> no, how dare I? <laughs> no, how no, dare I? <laughs> no, no. But but I mean, like in terms of like really diving deep, yeah. And I also think this is a great album. Although it wasn't my intro to like reggae music or Jamaican music, like this is anyone's entry point into Jamaican music in general. And also, I would say, um, oh, damn it, they're coming to arrest me for being too cool. <laughs> I don't know if you can hear that on they're the They're coming to arrest a, this album for being going. too cool. That's right. Um, no, but honestly, this album's going to be in a standoff with the cops, like Jimmy Cliff is in this movie. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. <laughs> but this, no, this album is it's a great pop album there's up-tempo songs there's ballads um Mm -hmm. so it it has something for everyone and this song is like a great pop pop album but it's like underground gritty and cool um it's like exceptionally cool like one of the coolest albums and also i would say you can play this album anywhere and it will work you could play it at a party mm-hmm. you could play it with three people you can play it with 150 people you can play it at a birthday you can play it at a any bar you could play it at a fucking funeral <laughs> yeah totally yeah there's yeah there's some sort of really really nice like uh sort of thoughtful songs on this as well it, it really it's so representative of so many different uh, so many different styles of Jamaican music. Yeah, so that's a great set. I'll give a little bit of background. I think we kind of brushed over it a little bit, but to give a background, oh, so yeah, yes, please. All of these the, these this came out in 1972. All of these um, all the songs were were singles released by various artists, mostly Jimmy Cliff, who. Is also the, is the star yeah. of the movie that this soundtrack was for most uh, most uh written by Jimmy Cliff and um performed by Jimmy Cliff uh like a good amount and then i would say mo- the singles were from like 67 to 71 and it's like a uh pr- mostly a a lot of early Jamaican ska rock steady the the distinction of which is very vague mm-hmm. and uh i'm it's kind of like uh, Justice Berger said about pornography. Oh. I can't define it, but I know it when I see it. And I think the same is true of uh, Ska and Rocksteady versus like overall reggae. Um, but they, oh. I, 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 I mean, the definitions are very nebulous and people disagree about it. But I sure. would say that they are subsets of like overall reggae music um, and definitely the early like 60s uh, Jamaican music. But yeah, I would say it's mostly like Ska, Rocksteady. Um, and but then a few like soulful ballads that though sung by Jamaican artists are I wouldn't even really call them they're they're all, they're barely reggae. Um, oh yeah, there's a lot of versatility on this album. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Let's talk about uh, the first song that you you chose. Yep, many rivers to cross. Is there anything you want to say about it? It's a Jimmy Cliff track. Yes. Before we play it, is there anything you want to say, or do we just want to go right into it? Um, maybe we'll talk about it after. So like, I love let's it. go right in. This Here's is a, a very soulful ballad. A one of the most beautiful songs ever. It's gorgeous.
Yeah. And we were all sitting here listening to it and we all cried. Yes. We had a big cry fest. <laughs> so, yeah, let's talk about it, Kyle. Why do you love that song so much? Um, it's one of the few, like, ballads uh, on the album. Mm-hmm. And it's also, it's the only Jimmy Cliff ballad. And he, um, interesting story about this song. It's Well, one, it's just, just talking about the song. It's like, he's, it's so, he's so passionate and he's like clearly like so, like singing so intensely but again when we talk about it's all about the song like it's i hate a ballad that's like indulgent he's not doing like a celine dion he's just totally he's just it's very it's it's like a ballad but it still feels really raw and stripped back um but interesting about this song so many uh i'd say almost all i think all but one of the album uh of the uh, songs on this album was produced by a very legendary instrumental um, Jamaican producer named Leslie Kong. And yes, he dis- who was a Jamaican slash Chinese, yeah, which is so interesting. Son of Chinese immigrants yeah. to Jamaica. Yeah. And there's a lot we could talk about him, but he pretty much discovered Jimmy Cliff outside his family's ice cream shop mm. and singing song, a song, uh, singing songs. He took him under his wing and pretty much mentored him all throughout his career. Leslie Kong also produced a lot of early Bob Marley, like Bob Marley's 60s sub, mm-hmm. um, pretty much discovered Bob Marley, Desmond Decker. Mm-hmm. Um, he helped found Island Records mm-hmm. um, with Chris Blackwell. I mm-hmm. mean, this guy is like right at the beginning. And he was Chinese, a uh, Chinese Jamaican guy. Really, in- really, really interesting guy. Um, and developed, he produced a lot of the albums as well. And then, so he was like a father figure to, to um, Jimmy Cliff. And right uh, I think in 1970, 71, right before this was coming out, he died very suddenly of a heart attack. And Jimmy Cliff like went into a really deep depression. He had never worked with another producer. And this was the first song he recorded after um, Leslie Kong's death. Oh, man. And he decided, he produced it himself and decided, he, ne- he never got another producer. He just produced everything himself and used what he learned from Leslie Kong. And so this was sort of like a tribute to... Uh, Leslie Kong. So I thought it was like a really interesting story. Very, uh, very, very sweet tale. I agree with that. And I also just listening to this from the perspective of what was going on in music in general when this was was written. Yeah. This just has such a strong soul influence. Yes. And so much of this album does. Um, Very much so. Yeah. You know, all I really want to say about that is that we think uh, we 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 segment music mm. in a way and I think we still do this where you know like record stores this yeah. is happening less and less yeah. but they have like world music sections right right and I feel like there's really not that's not a real thing right uh, that it, obviously people living in Jamaica had access to American music oh yeah people you know and then this this album specifically and this era of Jamaican music yeah. was a heavy influence like two three years later on a bunch of British bands oh my god yeah and and this album in particular and and technology is, has just created this these this is a very early example of like a global culture uh, in my opinion yeah for sure which I think is super super cool yeah yeah beautiful Kyle I'm glad we got to listen to that all the way through yeah me yeah. too did you have a song that you like uh, yes and I wa- I'm excited to segue because I do I just want to listen to this song I just <laughs> love it so much yep this is by Toots and the Maydolls it's called Pressure Drop let's listen to you know about two minutes of it. 
It's great. It's one of my faves. Here it is. Pressure Drop by Toots and the Maytals. Toots and the Maytals, uh, reggae legends Toots and the Maytals. So, I want to talk about the story behind this song. That's the yeah. main reason why. So, this song is about basically when there's a barometric pressure drop in <laughs> weather. That's what it's about. And it's a, it's a, you know, for anyone living in Jamaica, it is a real indication of island life. It, it, when the weather changes, you know, you have to watch out. Right. So when there's a pressure drop, what they're referring to is, is you know, having to seek shelter, going inside. Right. And what the way he used it is he used it as a metaphor. Uh, and I only, le- I, I, I only learned some Wikipedia this weekend. I'm not trying to be like, this is, these are all my ideas about this song. <laughs> Um, but he was using it as a metaphor for karmic retribution. Interesting. So what he was saying is that... Something bad will come to you. Yes, if you do not treat other people properly. That's cool. It's I like super, that. It's super cool, and it's it's really beautiful, and it's poetic. Yeah. And yeah, and this song you know, has a lot of really good covers. Uh, I think this might be like the most popular song on the album... Yeah, like outside of yeah, like the Jimmy Cliff tracks, maybe. Or yeah, I think it might even be more, more popular. popular. Yeah, I think yeah, and definitely to a certain like subset of like British yeah. sort of like first wave punk and yeah, ska bands for right. sure. Like the Clash covered this. Yeah, exactly. And my favorite cover is by the Specials. Yeah, it's a really really good cover. Yeah, and oh, I love it. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a really really cool, yeah, really cool fun track. And I think this was like a hit maybe like in the UK like before the album came out but uh, yeah I think it definitely has stood the test of time and, and definitely like you hear this song influence that like sec- second wave ska like the early two-tone uh, guys from the UK early 80s late 70s yeah absolutely which is also a whole genre of music that I think is really wonderful me too I love that stuff yeah yeah at our hearts we're both little little <laughs> ska boys but yeah. I mean really you know I don't want to digress too much but like what don't we like you know, <laughs> yeah. we don't like excess yeah we don't like excess and we like good not the songs. band in excess they're great <laughs> yeah 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 I actually don't really like them oh really that's so funny <laughs> it's because yeah. of their name that's yeah, why yeah I think that's that's it. Yeah, I, I don't like uh, I don't like no effects, and I don't like in excess. Oh my gosh. Uh, yeah, but it, it is you know there's just so many beautiful genres of music that you can really lose yourself in. Yeah, and you know it, it's just this never ending quest to find the next thing that you're going to be into. 
I do want to go into it like a small Chris Blackwell. Yes. <laughs> I mean, he's a big, big, here. big part of the story. Absolutely. Yeah. So Chris Blackwell is a, a producer and uh, the owner of Island Records at the time, who really was the record label that brought reggae and ska to the masses yep. in the 60s and into the 70s. Yep. Um, and uh, just uh, of note, an early hit for him, which was really the first ska hit song, was My Boy Lollipop by a singer named Millie Small. Mm-hmm. And she just passed away as of, yeah, just as of like two weeks ago. So oh, wow. th- this is sort of relevant. Um, Blackwell, just a little bit about his story, because the story is really rather interesting. He was born in England, but mainly grew up in Jamaica, was came from a from a fairly rich family who was able to give him starter money for his record label. The way he got into, you know, owning this label and managing this label is he managed uh, jukeboxes in Jamaica. Mm. Was mm. one of his uh, few businesses that he was sort of helping to run, which got him in contact with the uh, Jamaican music community, mm. and he was really falling in love with the music. And then when he was twenty one. This is just an amazing story. He was sailing and his boat ran into a coral reef and he had to swim to shore and was like near death's door and was in extreme heat. And he was rescued by a Rastafarian fisherman (laughs) and was nursed back to health by uh, being fed uh, traditional Rasta foods. (laughs) And it got him into Rastafarian culture uh, and then sort of gave him this deep appreciation. Uh, And then last little story about him, he ended up being the location scout for the James Bond film, Dr. No. Yes. Famously takes place in in Jamaica. Jamaica, yes. And then he really enjoyed his time in the film industry and had just started his record label, you know, just like year previous and he consulted a psychic because he was like, which career path should I choose, film or uh, or being, a, you know, owning a, a label? And the psychic said, go with music. It's You're going to become very successful. And then he, he was. Um, she nailed it. She nailed she it. She did nail it, yeah. She had a, she had a 50-50 shot. She did, and she, she was, was correct. A, it, it was a one or the other, but yeah, yes, she did get it right. She did get it right, yeah. So the album of the week is by uh, Burning Spear, and it's Marcus Garvey. And this was brought to us this week. This is this is Kyle, one of your fav- favorite albums. Mm-hmm. How did you how did you get into to this album? And I'd love if you would talk about it a little bit. Yeah, um, how did I get into it? I think I just I've always loved jamaican music i think a lot of people do but i've always really loved jamaican music and i think since college i've really just tried to learn more about like the full i i I think i the 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 phrase and term reggae is really um imprecise so i and there's a, a whole suite of jamaican music that starts really in the 60s i would say 50s and 60s and goes right up till today and you know talk about a country like punching above their weight class not in terms of quality of course but in terms of you know how many people are in jamaica eight million yeah you know nine million and 
it, it's some of the most unique, dynamic, influential music in the history of 20th century music. So Burning Spear was born as Winston Rodney. He was born in 1948 in St. Anne's Bay in Jamaica. By the way, just a side note, I always love doing these because I feel like I'm doing a book report and I'm <laughs> with any band that we cover on the show. By the uh, way, I'll, 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 I'll uh, chime in. He was born in St. Anne's Bay, the same place that Marcus Garvey was born. Oh, that is super cool. Uh, and so Bob Marley was also from St. Anne's and connected Winston Rodney to... Uh, Consone Dodd at Studio One, uh, which was a label uh, that the Whalers had been on previously, and he thought it was a really great place for newer uh, reggae artists to get their start. Winston Rodney and his singing partner, Rupert Willington, the, uh, they adopted the name Burning Spear as a group, but then like that group was still together when this album was released, but that group broke up, and then Winston Rodney himself started calling himself Burning Spear. Right. And Burning Spear, the name has some really cool historical significance. Really cool. It was the name be, uh, bestowed upon Jomo Kenyatta, who was the Mau Mau leader who became the president of Kenya. Like, that's something about Burning Spear, the man, is that, like, he was, like, really well-positioned in terms of his background mm-hmm. as, a, like, member of the Rastafarian religion as, like, and as a h- historian to mm-hmm. create a, an album that was really accessible for people to learn a lot about, you know, heritage and, and history. Yes. Mm-hmm. And I think we also need to, and I think the, the name Burning Spear perfectly um, positions the man Burning Spear in the context of the time and the particular political context of Pan-Africanism. And this is right on the heels of independence, not only for Jamaica in mm-hmm. 1962, but also um, the initial wave of African independence. And you have these leaders um, like Jomo Kenyatta, you know, even, uh, you know, in Egypt, Gamal Abdel Nasser, like people that are this first wave of optimism and hope for pan-African unity. And a lot of the sentiments, not only in the Rastafarian religion, but also particularly on this album, are informed by that particular political context yeah and that moment in in the history in the history and kenyatta is a huge figure in that movement kind of an unimpeachable a a big hero of mine too and someone who kind of was there for every stage of that first wave of african independence um and also you know like you know even in the the nation of islam people uh you know uh with Malcolm X, a lot of them took the name Kenyatta in in honor of Jomo Kenyatta. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, why don't we get into it? I feel like it's time to listen to a bit of Marcus Garvey and talk about it. Let's and do it. You'll hear a bunch of the themes that we've already discussed in the show. Marcus words
Okay, so let's talk what a about it. Fucking bop. It is. It's a bop. It's a bop. It is. It's it's super well written. It's the first yeah. track on the album. Yep. Which I think is important to note because it's definitely I feel like a shots fired track. Yes. It very much lays out not only the style of the record but mm -hmm. also this is the political content of the record. So let's talk a little bit about Marcus Garvey. Kyle, yeah. do your do your fifth grade uh, fifth grade history in. presentation. I'm ready. I'm ready. Well, first of all, just about the music. First of all, it sure. just it rocks. But also, you know, thinking also about you know in comparison to Bob Marley, who is like ascending fast at this moment yes um when this record came out you know this album and this song in particular is totally unsentimental in a way that sometimes bob marley's music can be yes um which i think why people kind he was more accessible than burning spear ever was or could be um this this music is uniquely and this song in particular is uniquely accessible musically and listenable but it's unmistakably aggressive and in your face and i just love it. it's it's such a unique balance that it strikes and now i mean it's a great song but i just want to talk a little bit about i just i want to introduce the marcus garvey as a person and his place in history I please guess. yeah um and and you know and and burning spear had a unique and kind of fascinating just obsession with marcus garvey He's still alive. He's still, I, I watched an interview with him like a few years ago and he's wearing like a Marcus Garvey t-shirt. Like he is just obsessed with yeah, Marcus Garvey. He's, he's a Marcus Garvey uh, evangelist. Totally. That's sort of what, he, I feel like that's sort of what he was put on earth to do was raise awareness of this person that a lot of other people maybe didn't know about. And yeah, and his content of his last few albums is there's still songs about Marcus Garvey. Exactly. on the albums he feels like he still has more to say about marcus garvey which and is he's, awesome yeah, yeah and he's not he's not out of line in saying that insofar as he keeps you know uh on the song old marcus garvey which is comes later in the album yes it's pretty much about how everyone has forgotten about marcus garvey yes and he's not wrong in saying that in that yes marcus garvey is a very well-known historical figure but he it cannot be understated how massive of an impact he had in his time mm -hmm. he kind of came of age politically in the, the turn of the 20th century eventually he was deported back to his home he's jamaican but he kind of came of age politically in harlem in yes. the, at the turn of the 20th century but he was the first black leader he he had just such a unique and dramatic impact in the history of this country and jamaica so i just want to say so it's really unique what so this song is called marcus garvey but what is he saying burning spear about particularly marcus garvey and he's talking about he's saying marcus garvey his his words have come to pass we can't get any food to eat we can't have we don't have no money to spend mm -hmm. so marcus garvey's message was unique and radical in a few ways first of all he recognized first the injustices uh, or, or not for, first and foremost i would say he recognized the injustices and the systemic inequalities that uh, existed in the united states and mm -hmm. also in jamaica which Certainly. At, the time, at the time was still a colony yeah but he also um was the first 
to really um, advocate a platform of black self-determination, black self-confidence. You know, it's harder. You, you can't forget, like, the entire system was designed to blacks were not only meant to feel inferior politically, but they were meant to they were literally scientifically told that they are less lesser human beings yes and so this beautiful you know marcus garvey's entire philosophy was about self-confidence and he had this uh, kind of brilliant strategy where every in harlem he would have these parades where every black man would put on a military uniform Mm -hmm. and he they would each be given ranks Mm -hmm. you know they were allowed to have positions of leadership and medals and they you know people from the time talk about going you know walking in these parades and feeling this unique sense of pride for the first time in their life you know Marcus Garvey is really the 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 beginning of the black pride movement that Mm -hmm. kind of really took fruition in the 60s and 70s and not only that but you know controversially he was a radical capitalist and he talks and and he talks about this in the song when he's talking about we can't get food to eat we have no money to spend marcus garvey advocated an entirely separate and distinct black nation that it functions similarly to the united states but the people in positions of power in that society are all black Mm mm-hmm and it's kind of incredible. This his, his message of black determination was he meant we need to have our own papers, mm-hmm. our own news. We need to have our own businesses, mm-hmm. and we need to have you know. The famously, he he bought this ship called the Black Starliner, mm-hmm. and he it was a a trading vessel that he he literally was like, we are going to import and uh, distribute our own goods and supplies mm-hmm. we are not going to every 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 step in the white dominated supply chain he's he said we i mean he was insane it's it's insanely radical to think he was going to recreate the entire american and white dominated supply chain but just make it run by blacks mm-hmm. and that is economic he was a capitalist yeah, yeah exactly i mean it's a cap he's a capitalist which you know, it just makes, you know, he's such a fascinating figure and mm-hmm. such a unique figure in the history of American culture. Okay, I'm sorry. I'm, 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 no, I <laughs> I'm think that that's on. really important because I think that it's really important to have that basis for who he is and why he was so interesting and why he's worthy of these discussions that we're still having now and a piece of art that came out in 1975 that was meant to bring attention to him and to galvanize the people of Jamaica and of the world. So I think it's totally important. And Um, just really quickly, I think it's important also because I think what Burning Spear is doing is focus on Marcus Garvey is a name that most people, you know, people should know. A lot of people do know. He has streets named after him. Yeah, at this point. A name you, you, you maybe got a sentence or two about him in school. Study his ideas. Study his ideas. Listen to what he said and listen to and and study up on and read about a lot of great black thinkers because there are great 
thinkers that we should learn from and we should not just hold them up as it's not he's not just a poster on a wall or just a name on a street he had ideas very specific ideas that were very influential and very important and we should all learn his actual ideas uh, yeah i agree and another part about that as well and something that this album i think does such a good job of is you know you know our history classes and our social studies classes are uh, a white supremacist perspective of history. So, you know, uh, I didn't learn anything about Marcus Garvey in school at my uh, mostly white, you know, Canadian private school. And I think that it's just sort of up to us now to be doing the continuous work in order to be learning about alternative historical figures that could teach us just right now about the current moment and help us understand why we're at where we're at and how we can move forward from it together, you know? And I think that Marcus Garvey is, is, is one of those figures. And not all of his ideas were incredibly positive ideas in terms mm. of moving towards the future. He's yeah. really controversial. He yes. worked with the Klan because they had similar goals, for example, so you did know. so did Malcolm X, totally. who, whose father was a Garveyite preacher, and yeah. Malcolm X was in street, extremely influenced by Mal, uh, by uh, Marcus Garvey. Mark, Malcolm X being a hero of mine as well, and a hero to many many of people. Course. Also, and, another and, a similar person who has a million streets named after him. But study what he what study his real ideas. Yeah, know? and and that's the thing is that is that people are complicated, and that this is a process in figuring out how it's all going to work. Right. And I think that it's important to understand that that's an ongoing process and one that like mm -hmm. someone who is now a poster on a wall or a street name, that they were going through a process trying to figure out how their methods were going to work for their entire life. A Marcus Garvey quote that I really like, because I think it, it, it is really tied into what this album is trying to achieve, is mm. liberate the minds of men and ultimately you will liberate their bodies. Mm. Is, is really, really cool. It's just a good one, I feel. And just sort of swerving back into being about the song, something that I think is a really, there's a fascinating lyric in the song that re really resonates with me in the current moment is, he who knows the right thing and do it not shall be spanked with many stripes. And I think that that's, such a great summation of how in action when you witness injustice is actually the same as racist action in terms mm -hmm. of if you witness a racist action and you do nothing, that is also a racist action. Mm -hmm. uh, and I really like how this song deals with compl complicity uh, in such a like smart and uh, focused way. Yeah. Yeah. I really like that interpretation. I, I just want to say that line also is very radical too, because, you know, from a Garveyite perspective, mm -hmm. it's, it's a balance of it, his audience is other black people. Yes, sure. And he's saying, we recognize that the cards that we have been dealt are complete bullshit. Mm -hmm, and, mm -hmm. and we have been subjected to, hundreds of years of in the jamaican context colonial oppression mm -hmm. in the american context i mean yeah in, in every it's all the colonial uh oppression and, and white supremacy but he's saying okay we recognize that and then he's also speaking to other black people and it's a message of self-determination and 
in the context of the time, that was really radical mm-hmm. to say it's kind of like I'm black and I'm proud. Mm-hmm. That was the first time really it, that type of message had been sent. It's like we can we can fucking do this, mm-hmm. you know. And and it's 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 it it can't be understated how novel and radical that message was at the time. Wow, really interesting stuff. Really nice to revisit those uh, older episodes of Kick the Jukebox. We are going to be back in December with a whole new season that will be about the history of disco music. If you want to check out that podcast you recommended at the top of the episode, remember that is the Quarter Rest Podcast, and you can take a look at it or take a listen at it, rather, at any podcatcher of your choice. You know, if you like what you're hearing on Kick the Jukebox, you can subscribe on any podcatcher of your choice. That's so helpful. And you can rate us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much. I'm Louis. Perlman. See you around like a record. Kick the jukebox is so much fun. Kyle and Louie are number one. Kick the jukebox, kicking a rhyme. Talking about music all the time.